0: Hi, this is Jerry Conway, and you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk.
1: Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle, all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self Of The Amazing Spider Talk. The amazing Spider-Talk. Come swing from the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing Spider-Talk.
2: Hello, I'm Gapper Dan Gavosden, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com.
0: And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die.
2: Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us for the fourth episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture.
0: And in this first season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk, we are taking a closer look at the Stan Lee and Steve Ditko creative run on the title. Dan, last week you and I talked all about the gadgets, costumes, and powers, oh my, that allowed Peter to become Spider-Man. So uh, now this week, instead of talking about powers and costumes, we're going to talk about... All of the tropes and stories that originated during the Lee Dicko run and have gone on to repeat themselves over and over throughout the history of Spider-Man.
2: That sounds really exciting. But uh, this time we're not talking about a particular issue, Mark. We're kind of talking about the whole run. So I think if you're familiar with Spider-Man, there's no need to really read anything before listening to this show. But if you do want to read along, of course you can read the whole run just about anywhere. This is the most popularly printed run of Spider-Man ever. You can read it print, digital, or as part of Marvel's unlimited service. So now sit tight, grab some wheat cakes, and prepare yourself for If This is is Spider-Man's Destiny.
1: One of my all-time favorite stories that was illustrated by Steve Ditko was the Spider-Man story called The Final Chapter. Peter, or Spider-Man, found himself trapped in a subway tunnel with some huge something, a big piece of iron that was holding him down and he couldn't escape without lifting that off him and it looked as though he would He would be trapped there forever. I never realized that Steve would draw it so magnificently. Instead of doing it in a couple of scenes, a couple of panels, like perhaps most artists would have done, Steve stretched that out for a number of pages where you keep seeing Spider-Man straining and forcing himself and Trying to lift that huge iron object. But he just couldn't do it. But he didn't give up. And panel after panel. Page after page. He's trying to free himself. And finally he does. And when he does. After the reader had seen. All those other panels and pages. It was such a thrill. Even to me. And I was the writer of the story. When I saw that. I almost
0: shouted in triumph. Steve did a wonderful job on that. So, Dan, um, before we get into the actual content of the episode here, I think we have a bit of a mea culpa to issue. Uh, eat some crow, I guess, <laughs> about um, <laughs> one of the things we addressed last week, which was the uh, original Jack Kirby conception for Spider-Man. Um I, I guess the, the the simplest way to put it is we, we kind of fell for the oldest trick in the new media book, which was we got duped by uh, some poor googling. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know the, the the image that we shared about you know that kind of you know looked like Spider Man kind of looking like Captain America with a web gun uh, is is um, not not an actual image. It's a doctored image of Giant Man. Um, that has kind of made its way around the internet, um, Dan. I, you know, not to justify us passing false information, but for the record, um, I did remember seeing what was Ditko's kind of conception of what Kirby did uh, for Spider-Man when I was doing my research for the book, and there are some similarities to that illustration to what we ended up sharing last time around. So that's probably part of the reason why I was like, "Oh yeah, that's it." <laughs> so shame on us. We apologize for that. Um, but you know, Dan is going to drop the the image that we're referring to here, and and we 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 have this kind of um better faith that this is legitimate in some fashion, right, Dan?
2: Well, it's Dicko's interpretation of Kirby's interpretation, so you can take that as you want. But I think he's been. Um, you know, in, in regards to his version of events, pretty like honest about how things are portrayed there. So, if you look down at your player now, you'll see Dicko's version of Kirby's version for whatever that's worth. Um, yeah,
0: and and it's and it's consistent with at least from a written standpoint what I have found was the original kirby idea for spider-man which was something that was more of a traditional superhero which obviously dicko's version of you know the actual version of spider-man is not your traditional hero you know so um i i think there's some validity to this it it, kind of matches up with many many sources who have corroborated that kirby's initial pitch was kind of like captain america but Without the Captain America costume.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this guy is uh, just as much of a beefcake as uh, Steve Rogers is. And, of course, we have to thank uh, writer extraordinaire Dan Slott for pointing this out for us. Um, We asked the question last week on the show, I wonder why this character didn't make it into Spider-Verse. And now the answer is clear because I asked Dan Slott that and he said, that's because that character doesn't exist. So – and it's all a fake. So thank you, Dan, for pointing out uh, our mistake. So
0: so then why didn't this character make it into Spider-Verse?
2: Well, that's another question uh, for another time. <laughs> so next week – look, stay tuned for next week's show where we say this isn't real either.
0: Yes. <laughs> anyway, so now on to the actual topic du jour so, Dan, you know, what's that expression about there being only two kinds of stories in literature? Well, for Spider-Man, I, th- I think we could boil it down to more than just two kinds of stories. I mean, there 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 have been over the years a number of themes and tropes that have repeated themselves again and again until you're sick of them, until you're saying, oh, this thing again. We're going to go over, I think, some of our favorites here. Um, we're going to try and at least give you guys – Because, you know, as Dan mentioned in the intro, we don't we're not really following a specific issue or run of issues for these, but we'll try and give you some origin points. So if you're kind of like, oh, yeah, that is something that shows up a lot in Spider-Man comics. Where did that begin? You know, we've kind of highlighted, if not the very, 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 very first, at least among the very first. (laughs) We're we're going for it. So um, we're going to start with a personal favorite of mine, Dan, which is the Parker Luck.
2: Yeah, and Uh, you you did a lot of research on this to find the first time it was actually referred to as the Parker Luck.
0: Yeah, I mean I I had – when I was starting to organize my book last year, um, I knew I wanted to do an entire chapter dedicated to the Parker Luck because I think it's just such a fascinating uh, thing to be associated with this character. Um, And as part of that, I was kind of like, all right, well, if I'm going to write about it, I have to at least identify – um, where it's first met, where, where it first occurs. I think it occurs in the very, very first issue of Amazing Spider-Man. But where it's actually first mentioned by name is not until almost the bitter end of this run. It's Amazing Spider-Man number thirty-four. Peter uh, gets called out by Harry and Gwen for snubbing them. Uh, ever since college started, you know, like he's not being friends with them, and you know he's being a jerk to them according to their, rea- you know, the way they see things. Uh, when in actuality he's been preoccupied with Aunt May because, you know, for the previous three issues, uh, which are a trope in itself that we'll talk about, uh, she had been sick and, and was on the verge of death and he was pre, you know, all worried about that and he was just like, oh, you know, there's that Parker luck again. And I th- believe, and you know if someone else can can point to an earlier issue, please write in, call in, do it. but I believe that is the first mention by name of the parker luck and and Dan, what is the Parker luck
2: The Parker luck is almost anything but luck uh, <laughs> <laughs> It is the kind of adage that nothing will ever go right it 's a chaos theory of sorts uh, for uh for every equal reaction there's an equal and opposite reaction specifically oriented around peter there's definitely an argument to be made that perhaps peter is the center of the universe on which all things balance every time something goes good for peter something is surely likely to go bad for peter and that's part of it and the other part of it is that um, every action that he takes is sure to have an opposite reaction in whether it 's for good or for ill um you know he he is intending to do something good, but it ends up coming across as bad for another person it 's just the idea that nothing will ever go right for peter entirely
0: yeah and i mean my my addendum to that would also be i 've always viewed the a luck also kind of manifesting as. If something is going right for Peter, it's probably going wrong for Spider-Man and vice versa. When things are going good for Spider-Man, it probably means something is happening in Peter's life that's causing havoc. I mean, there are times where it's just bad all around for both. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, you know, it's it's never – it's never going right for both. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, it's, and and it's usually, you know, if he's having good luck as Peter, it's probably going to, like you said, have that inverse effect on his Spider-Man life. And, and, you know, I think, you know, the, when I mentioned the first issue of Spider-Man, I mean, I mean, that whole issue is just dripping with Parker Luckisms. I mean, all the way, you know, he saves John Jameson from the rocket and then still gets labeled a menace. And then he goes home and his aunt may is like, Oh, that, that, That awful Spider Man, and it's like he, you know, it's like this kind of like avalanche of reality hitting this character that, like, he's just never going to be able to be comfortable as Spider Man. Like, there's always going to be a target on him, uh, and people are always going to make him out to be, um, you know, something darker and sinister than what he is. Um,
2: It's a sort of bitter irony.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but there are, there are like other ways that it's manifested itself. I mean, like I, I always enjoy, you know, one of my favorite instances is, um, an amazing Spider-Man number 17, uh, which was the second appearance of Green Goblin and, uh, basically Spider-Man you know, flash puts together a, a meeting of the Spider-Man fan club and Peter actually gets invited by Liz Allen, who he's, you know, at this point kind of crushing on. And it's crushing on him a little bit. Off and on. And, yeah, off and on. Uh, depending depending on how Stan was feeling that week. Uh, when he was writing it. So Spider-Man shows up and he's you know full of all these adoring fans, and the Green Goblin shows up and they're fighting each other. And the human torch is there just to like add you know more rivalry to it. And all of a sudden, like Spider-Man, as he's in the middle of a fight, overhears on the phone that Aunt May is sick. And he like drops everything and makes and looks like a coward. So it's like you know here he is finally in front of people who actually like him, and he blows it. And to me, that's the Parker luck in a nutshell.
2: And even more basic than that, Parker luck is you know the person who runs his fan club is the guy that Peter Parker thinks of the title like nincompoop. You know, yes. Flash Thompson. So like there's there's no ev- everything has its like kind of like rose uh, like thorny lining. You know.
0: Yeah, and and kind of coming on the heels of that storyline is another version of the parker luck. Like, with, with this is something a little more darker, which was that, um, you know, to save his aunt, he, he gives her a blood you know blood transfusion, and as it turns out, the blood ends up giving Aunt May radiation poisoning, and then that leads to the the three point the three part you know Master Planner trilogy. Um, which again, we'll, we're gonna discuss it in this, in this episode, as, in terms of tropes. Um, but you know, there, there, you know, he's trying to help somebody and he's trying to do the right thing and he uh, ends up almost killing that person. So, I mean, like, you know, it's, it, it can come across kind of humorously, like, oh, look, now, now everyone thinks Spider Man's a coward, or it can come across like, oh, wow, Spider Man almost killed this person he loved, or, you know, as we learned much later in the, the death of Gwen Stacy ish, uh, issue, like, it did lead to a character's death. I mean, that was probably the, you know, one of the darkest turns for the Parker luck.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of Gwen Stacy, uh the, I think the place where it most manifests itself is probably in his love life, whether it's, you know, him like finally, you know, hitting his stride with one girl only for the other girl to kind of jump in or for him to say, "You know what? I don't want to meet this Mary Jane person," only for her to end up being really beautiful like he you know is is constantly um like his love life is constantly up in the air although I think many of us would kill to be as lucky with ladies as Peter is
0: yeah talk about Parker Luck
2: (laughs) what about like uh extending from this run do you have any comics that you think about that specifically showcase the Parker Luck in a unique way
0: well I mean not for nothing I mean when 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 Peter returned from the dead in um, 2014 I mean the name of that first arc you know, the volume 3 reboot of Amazing Spider-Man was the Parker luck and it was all about you know like Peter's back it's great he's got his body back from Doc Ock but now he's dealing with all of these ramifications from when Ock was running around his body so I mean you know I know we kind of ran hot and cold with a lot of the volume 3 stories but I mean it really was a kind of to the most heightened degree, a good a good um, demonstration of of the Parker luck, you know, like I mean, this, this is this is the best possible scenario for Peter. He's back from the dead. And yet there's so much chaos in his life from, you know, having to run a company now and Black Cat thinking, you know, going rogue because, you know, Otto caught her and threw her in jail when he was superior to Spider-Man, etc. etc. So, I mean, it, or Mary Jane basically being out of his life now. So, I mean, a lot going on there. What about you?
2: Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, One of the ones that I think about um, also falls into, I think, like another trope that we contemplated discussing but ultimately decided not to discuss because it doesn't really become fully formed during the Stan Lee, Steve Dicco era is the kind of trope of like there's no winning for Spider-Man. You know, Mm. he often gets put in these situations where – you know he might have a victory on one level while completely failing on the other. Um, like you said, Spider-Man can have a victory, but Peter Parker can fail. And the one story that always stands out for me is um, what happened to Crusher Hogan, where yeah. you know Peter is tasked with uh, you know watching Nathan Lubeski for Aunt May, and in the you know meantime he goes to save Crusher Hogan from getting killed as spider-man only for nathan to wind up in trouble because he was you know ignored him so there's no real winning solution and i think that's another trope that makes itself apparent in numerous spider-man comics but just not it's not a big part of stan lee and steve dicko so i'm going to put it under the parker luck for
0: now yeah all right the next big trope and i mean dan this is this is a big one and we've talked about these issues a lot in, in our essential series is Spider-Man quitting and you know probably you know the the best instance of this I mean again from the very beginning Spider-Man Peter has shown a reluctance to being Spider-Man I mean there's so many visuals during the Lee Dicko run of you know Peter kind of like throwing his costume in disgust and why why am I doing this You know, what good are these powers? What good is being Spider-Man if I can't make money or can't enjoy myself or can't, you know, be out in the public and, and, you know, be popular? Um, But, you know, in terms of actual quitting, you know, that it was the three part story in Amazing Spider-Man number 17 to 19. You know, we just referred to it earlier. You know, Peter is fighting the Green Goblin leaves because he finds out his Aunt May is sick. You know, she she needs a blood transfusion and you know it's kind of like the very first time where Peter is just like you know he's the character has been labeled a coward and stuff by the press because he ran away from this fight and he's like you know what screw it I'm done and of course this lasted I mean even even when he quits he still doesn't really quit <laughs> it's like he's still like well there's the sandman I guess I got to fight him and we talked about this at length during the um essential I mean, I, this was one of my essential picks, although I don't think it got voted into the final list, right, Dan?
2: No, it was just shy.
0: Yeah, although the the, the story that th- this begat in terms of the Spider-Man quitting trope, I think was our number one pick for, uh, number one voted on pick for essentials. So, Absolutely. you know, it, it goes to show <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> maybe because he just didn't quit hard enough in Spider-Man.
2: <laughs> they have to just call our bluff one of these days and have him actually quit.
0: Right, right. Well, you know, they've they tried a couple times to make it last more than one issue, but you know, like volume two or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that that lasted a whole two
2: issues.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But um, of course, obviously, the most famous version of Spider Man quitting is Amazing Spider Man number fifty, Spider Man No More. We just saw this in the most recent issue of Amazing Spider Man. You know, Parker Industries No More. I mean, this is this is a, a. a theme a trope that just gets used again again and again i mean you know beyond spider-man no more are there other instances of the quitting trope that you feel have been done well dan
2: well i'm thinking of flipping it with the peter parker no more when he like oh, okay. did the the spider uh thing with mark bagley um, yes and you even got that inversion cover where it's spider-man walking away from peter parker
0: yeah that was that was always very good I did enjoy and you know, they kind of again hit the theme of the Spider Man No More visual cover with the um the I guess the end of the first half of the clone saga. <laughs> so yeah. sad that they're there halves to the clone saga. <laughs>
2: um
0: when when Peter officially hands over the webs to Ben and and rides off into the sunset with Aunt May with Aunt May, with the Mary Jane and this one actually lasted a while. I, mean, I this hope was like he a didn't whole...
2: ride off with M.A.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would have been weird. Uh, M.A. was dead, except <laughs> she wasn't. But that's okay, too. Because um, things get undone in Spider-Man. Um, but I did enjoy there, – there actually seemed to be some finality to that because I think for the first time, the creators actually meant to there be for there to be finality there. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, a lot of the other times that this has come up where, you know, he quits, it's literally just an issue or half an issue or whatever. Um, I mean, even Spider-Man No More, it's it's just over the span of one issue, he's Spider-Man, he quits, and then he's Spider-Man again. Although it's a brilliant issue. I'm not trying to demean it. Um, but the, the bottom line is, like, you know, is there any other hero besides Spider-Man where quitting – is really such like an ongoing drama.
2: <laughs> well, I was going to say it seems to be a rite of passage for all the like uh, ancillary Spider-Man characters. Like everybody has a quit story, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just like, oh, are you a Spider-Man? Well, oh, that means you're going to quit it's in some form or fashion. How many times have we seen the garbage bin with a costume in it uh, right. in the history of these characters? Too many too many times
0: absolutely i mean and you know even when you think of like other famous stories i mean like you know obviously there's like captain america becoming the nomad but even then he wasn't quitting being a superhero he just wasn't going to be captain america you know what i mean like he you know the, the his country betrayed him so he couldn't do it anymore and you know there's been times where like the hulk has tried to or i should say bruce banner has tried to separate himself from the hulk but but this is this is something a little different because this is like you know this is someone who granted is not willingly put into the position of being Spider-Man, but he he is making a very conscious effort to remain Spider-Man, but but just not do it, not not be responsible. And and because of the fact that this is character's mantra is with great power must also come great responsibility, it can never last no matter what.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um the next big trope that we want to discuss and this might be like two tropes in one uh, okay. is uh the the idea that anyone can win a fight when the odds are easy uh Spider-Man never gives up. Like that's yeah. that's one of the big ones we hear. He is a man of many mantra about not giving up.
0: Yeah, and of course by saying you know anyone can get, can win a fight when the odds are easy. That's quoting from Amazing Spider-Man number thirty-three, which is Spider-Man being crushed by tons of steel and and looking you know at his reflection and seeing the the floating heads of guilt of <laughs> Uncle Ben and Aunt May and and Dad. I, I I don't know. I feel like we just saw this recently in another version of Spider-Man. Am I am I right? Not just in the comics
2: yeah no you're you're dead on
0: except <laughs> <laughs> the floating head of guilt was Tony Stark this time
2: <laughs> <laughs> disembodied voice of guilt.
0: there you go, but you know obviously we're talking about spider man homecoming I mean this is i mean obviously master planner it's the essential version of spider man not quitting, but we've seen this in other parts like one else i mean. We saw this as early as when, Dan, in this run.
2: Yeah, in Amazing Spider-Man number three, um, you know, the Human Torch comes to Midtown High School and gives a speech about never giving up. And uh, it's funny because, like, despite their rivalry, Peter still tells him, like, thanks, you know, you really inspired me. And, and the Human Torch kind of blows him off.
0: It's like, uh, whatever, dude. Yeah. <laughs>
2: But he does give this uh, speech – is that the one where he also does uh, flame arithmetic? Yes. Yeah, so there you go. That's always fun. But yeah, yeah, the Human Torch gives him a big inspirational speech that, like, inspires him to go and and slug it back out with Doc Ock again.
0: Yeah, because he got really humiliated by Doc Ock the first time they met. Although, like, this was kind of a common practice of Spider-Man during this run – uh, with every new villain he encountered. And we'll probably talk about this more when we break down some of the villain um, villains individually in a future episode, Dan. But, um, yeah, Spider-Man just has this penchant of, you know, round one, going into a fight, getting his butt kicked because he's either overconfident or underestimates the villain's powers. He kind of licks his wounds, goes back home, figures something else out, and then, Gets back on that horse and does it and, and figures it out. And so, pushes I mean, it, a
2: button to defeat them.
0: Yes. <laughs> or, or in the case of the Sandman, uses a vacuum.
2: Yes, of course. <laughs> the only comic where a villain is defeated by a vacuum.
0: <laughs> Which is a great fight, by the way. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. I mean, obviously, I mean, we talked about Homecoming, but I mean, what are what are some of your more... What are some of the more famous, but also some of your more favorite versions of the the you know overcoming the odds, the the perseverance?
2: Well, you you can't you can't forget um, the inspirational speech from Aunt May in issue eighteen, the Parker's have gumption speech uh, yeah. that she delivers, even though she looks like she's on the verge of death while delivering. <laughs> that is one Hugs. old crow, Aunt May.
0: Harkers have gumption.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's her at like her closest to death before her de aging process began.
0: Yeah, although I do appreciate that that scene kind of gets um, adapted a bit in the Raimi Spider Man Two scene when they're cleaning when you know Peter is cleaning out May's house, yeah, you know, during his his Spider Man No More moment. Uh, where she's just kind of like, you know, you're not Superman, you know, and, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, she, she, she gives a very stirring speech that I felt was kind of in line with that inspiration to kind of convince him to keep going.
2: And Spider-Man would give this speech to himself too. Like I, I remember in amazing Spider-Man number 20, when he's fighting the scorpion for the first time, uh, the scorpion like defeats him, like you just said. And he hears the Scorpion going after Betty, um, you know, because he's attacking the offices. And Spider-Man gives himself his own pump-up speech about, uh, about never giving up. And he goes back to defeat the Scorpion. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just like – it's just a part of the character, you know. Uh, again, like a trope that repeats itself over and over again. Um, the Master Planner one is really unique because there's a visual associated with it. And I think if there's a visual that's repeated more, I think it's probably the most repeated visual in Spider-Man comics is the lifting stuff over your head visual.
0: Yeah. I can think about a dozen comics where we see that. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, we, didn't we just see it recently even in, um, in a, a volume four issue of amazing Spider-Man? Like yeah, I feel when like...
2: the, the like factory is burning down before the clone conspiracy, he yes. like lifts the stuff off of his. Uh, what was the guy's name? Pedro or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and uh, I think we did a review of like Revelations uh, or like a volume two where 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 he does it. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, it's, it- it's
2: everywhere.
0: Yeah. In that, uh, that clone saga, you know, f- at first half conclusion issue, I was just recently talking about. It was a spectacular, I think it was Spectacular 227. It's actually Peter is buried and Ben picks up the rubble to kind of uh, like, you know, the, you you know the show, like the passing of the torch, which was kind of clever. Um, obviously, um, I mean, there's a cover of it recently, uh, from the, uh, the, 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 the train, the two part train one. Uh, un- unscheduled stop. Unscheduled you.
2: stop. That's it. Yes. And he and, does that I mean, with the rats in that issue.
0: Yeah. So obviously that's a visual we see a lot. And then just thematically, like probably my favorite post Dicko Lee reference to this idea. And, and again, we talked about this during the essential series is the nothing can stop the juggernaut story because you know what, what I feel really, ratchets that whole idea up to another level is the fact that, you know, here is Spider-Man, this character who won't give up, who won't stop, going against the villain whose mantra is, I don't stop, and you cannot stop me. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's it's just the the best, to me, manifestation of that, you know, that unstoppable force. I, I've always described it in my writing as, you know, it's the unstoppable force versus the unbreakable will. Um, and you know, I think that's probably what, what, what Lee and Dicko were going for here. It's that unbreakable will.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think about the Morland stu- story coming home for that yep. too. I mean, it's a much longer version of that, but, uh, you know, Spider-Man is on the edge of death, but still, uh, like willing to push himself to the brink in order to save everybody else. Um, and that's, really uh heroic and fun to read and uh and something we've read i mean it it is a a common well to return to and one that i'm still not tired of definitely even if i'm a little over the uh master planner lifting lead visual
0: fair enough even in homecoming
2: no that was exciting but in the comics i think it's time to take a break
0: yes the next one we want to talk about here i mean this is It's yet another one of these tropes that has been there since the very, very beginning. It's the idea of Spider-Man, hero or menace.
2: Yeah, yeah. As reflected in Amazing Spider-Man number one, Jonah's got that newspaper cover that says exactly that, Spider-Man, menace. Whereas we know a little better, or at least we think we do. Sometimes Peter does seem more like a menace than a hero in those early issues, but...
0: Yeah, but it's like because of this, it's allowed villains to kind of get an advantage over him by either impersonating him or, you know, allowing the public to believe that Spider-Man is secretly that villain. Um, I mean, we saw in, again in that first issue, the chameleon uh, impersonate Spider-Man uh, to kind of cause chaos Um electro you know j jonah jameson says that spider-man must be electro when he first appears in amazing spider-man number nine uh what are some other instances of this
2: it also happens mysterio dresses as him to rob a bank in issue 13 and yeah. craven also dresses as him to attack jonah in issue 34 it's like how many people are cosplaying as spider-man in these few issues it's like a Stanley and Steve Dicko like to return to this well frequently.
0: Yeah, and again, this it's not like. This is very unique to Spider Man. It's not like Doctor Doom was going around with a four on his chest when he was fighting the Fantastic Four. I mean, Although this was, Doctor
2: Doom is now wandering around in an Iron Man costume.
0: Okay, well, that's. You know. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> um. But yeah, so the point being is that you know this this is something very distinct to Spider-Man. You know, a, again, it plays into his outsider, uh, outcast status, um, and it's 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 led to some fun stuff. I mean, where where, where have we seen this post Lee, Lee and Dicko? I mean, plenty of places, right? Well, I mean, it's like
2: ev- every comic with Jonah in it. You know, yeah. <laughs> he's pushing this trope, whether he's funding villains to take him down or not.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and you know, to kind of jump universes here, I mean, with with Ultimate Spider-Man, weren't there like, wasn't there some issues with Spider-Man being, you know, there were like like a clone of a Spider, or not a clone of Spider-Man showing up, but like there were crimes being committed that were being pegged on Spider-Man.
2: Yeah, it was these like Spider twins. Uh, we never really got a very good. Uh, ending
0: resolution yeah.
2: but i will say like for most of that run the police when they saw spider-man would fire at him and he even got shot with a bullet a few times which led him to meet nick fury and shield and all and all of that um, i mean eventually the police would get on his side depending on who the police officer was but right yeah i mean he was seen as this kind of like unknowable menace. And I, again, when we talked about the costume, this is also a, an attribute of Spider-Man's costume is that nobody knows who he is. So there's kind of an inherent mystery and suspicion about him.
0: Yeah. And just a couple other good examples. Uh, more recent, there's the spider tracer mystery where Spider-Man's, uh, Spider-Man was being framed up for murder. Oh, that's a Uh, great one. You know, because his tracer was being left at the scene of the crime. Um, and then even just um, the fact that um, Spider-Man was wanted for the death of Norman Osborn during the death of the Green Goblin storyline, that was um, – and that was kind of a, a, a rap that haunted the character for like 60, 70 issues before charges were finally dropped. There was – Basically, basically, Marv Wolfman came on the book and was like, I'm tired of the storyline, so there's going to be a new DA and the charges are dropped. <laughs>
2: wah wah. Yeah.
0: Can but, we make but, a trope
2: okay. of um, changing editorial teams dropping stories?
0: <laughs> I guess that's a
2: trope. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not of this run, but that's definitely <laughs> a trope of Spider Man history.
0: Yeah. Uh, what else do we got here, Dan? What, what's what's our next one?
2: Our next one is uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but the trope that you know, Spider-Man, he's a lovable guy, but he just can't have love.
0: No, it's very sad. You know, the, the poor The poor man can never, never, never stay with a woman, right? I mean, so I mean, obviously during these Lee Dicko issues, the two main love interests are Betty Brant and, to a lesser degree, Liz Allen. Uh, actually, in the first issue that Betty shows up, Peter blows off a date that he has with Liz because he has to quote study for exam, although he's really just going after the Sandman. So like, there's like that first case of, that's also a Parker Luckism, you know, that he can't he can't fulfill his 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 social obligations because of his Spider-Man obligations.
2: Yeah, and and that's kind of like half the uh, of this trope. Like the the trope usually takes two forms. It's either he can't make his dates because he has to go do a Spider-Man thing or his relationship is doomed to fail because he's hidden his, this secret from them. And if they're find out, they're going to leave him or they find out and feel betrayed that he wasn't able to confide that secret uh, with them. Um, and of course that's a Parker luck thing. You know, he can't tell them because they might be put in danger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Um, you know, as to the second one, you know, he can't really have a long relationship with Betty because, uh, she is so fearful of his life as even just a photographer. He knows that if he tells her that he's Spider-Man, um, you know, that she is going to not be able to handle, um, uh, living with that.
0: Yeah. And then that whole drama is like ratcheted up a bit when, um, Spider-Man is on the scene, um, with a fight with Doc Ock, where Betty's brother, um, was it Bennett? Yeah. Uh, Bennett Brent is, is shot and killed in the crossfire. And even though Bennett is, is basically a crook himself, um, Betty blames Spider-Man for his death, you know, like he was involved somehow. Um, and this is, that's a, the, that's an idea that would, you know, recur years later when, uh, Captain Stacy died during Spider-Man's battle, interesting enough, with Doc Ock, and Gwen blames Spider-Man for his involvement in her father's death. Um, so, again, it's like – I mean that's how it manifests itself in it's probably its most dramatic way.
2: I just had a sudden flashback to the fact that Bennett Brandt is still alive or was briefly still alive in the pages of Venom a few years back.
0: That's right, but then I think, but I think then Betty kills him again. Right? Yeah,
2: she killed him. Yeah, yeah, you know,
0: like, maybe, you, like you do, like you do. Because yeah. oh, you know, if ever there's a character that you could bring back from the dead, it's the the unsuperpowered brother of the secretary from the Daily Bugle.
2: There you go, there you go. And then I guess like the most dramatic version of this, although it's not from this run, is. That like you know Gwen Stacy would die and, and that's associated with like him being spider man to some extent um although it's it's less a it's less a um a charge of of something Peter did like he's not really like responsible for her being up on that bridge like that um like by right. his own kind of uh parker luckism
0: yeah but it but it demonstrates that you know because. Of who he is and his identity getting out. This is this is these are the consequences, you know. Um, And then also talking, you know, we mentioned earlier uh, about editorial interference. Probably the other most famous manifestation of this trope is um, "One More Day," where the text itself says, "You can't have love, Peter Parker." (laughs) 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 I mean, Mephisto just says it. You will never be happy. Um, so, um, there you go. Uh, Spider-Man, don't, don't date him unless you want to die or get your marriage annulled the, le- the
2: less said about that, the better. <laughs> so what's our next trope we're going to talk about?
0: Uh, the next one, I know we're, 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 we're banging these out. The next one is Spider-Man must always protect his identity. And which is kind of funny because, at the same time, Spider-Man – Peter has always had this this fear of many reasons of his identity getting out. You know, In terms of Aunt May, it would give her a heart attack and she'd die uh, because of the fact that Spider-Man is kind of assumed to be a menace and a crook. You know, it, it would implicate Peter as being guilty of something. So, I mean, there's always been practical or somewhat practical reasons why he's had to do this. Yet, the same token – um, Peter has also kind of been careless <laughs> with his identity, even though it that has not always – it never really bit him in the butt during this run, which is kind of funny. Although um, he's probably the
2: most careless with his identity during this run.
0: Yes, yes. Um, but, like, you know, this this was seen as early as um, Amazing Spider-Man number four. Uh, Peter's mask is torn when he's fighting the Sandman, uh, and, he, and he just imagines being – uh, he imagines being maskless, only for a Sandman to like turn around and be like, uh, "As soon as the police grab me, they're gonna know who you are too, buddy." Uh, which then like has like him picturing Jonah like tarring and feathering him and all this. So it just kind of shows like you know even if he does something good because his mask is ripped he kind of has to like give up on the fight now
2: my favorite detail from that scene is that uh in his imagination aunt may is forced to sell shoelaces for 10 cents on the street <laughs> like that's like that's all she's good for is selling her shoelaces for 10 cents it's like kind of a weird like child's version of poverty <laughs>
0: Yes, uh, we, we gotta wonder what Stan was sniffing when he wrote that scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, just more, more, less absurd, but more and more funny is uh, when the living brain shows up in uh, Amazing Spider-Man number eight, and you know, like the apparently, like they they're able to like feed in. Data into the brain, and the brain will determine who Spider Man is. And Peter is just basically like, you know, crapping himself as this is happening. Be like, oh my God, he's going to find out in front of everybody. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I always think about that scene um, uh, related to this in Ultimate Spider Man where Craven the Hunter comes to the school and says he's going to sniff out Spider Man. And, right. he, and he's like, oh God, like this guy's going to might just find me right now. <laughs>
0: Yeah. (laughs) And then of course, I mean, and this is this is a famous instance and it's even on the cover of the comic Amazing Spider Man number twelve, uh, in fighting Doc Ock. Peter is has a cold and basically loses his powers and gets like beat up like a ragdoll and gets unmasked. Except, you know, you would think, Oh, this is it. It's done, the secret's out. Except everyone's like, Oh, what's Peter doing? And like even Doc Ock's like Spider-Man isn't this weak. This can't be Spider-Man. It's just some puny teenager.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of funny because everybody like – it's Peter's one moment where he actually looks good because people are like, oh, how brave of you, Peter. You know, like stupid but brave of you to like try to save Betty by doing this. You know, like – but yeah, it's got a nice little twist to it that's kind of bittersweet.
0: It's just one of those things where it's like, you know – it kind of makes you wonder why people just don't actually remember continuity in these comics because like, you know, you, you would think that all these other times where it's been kind of suspect, like, where's Peter? Why, why is Peter never around when Spider-Man's here and blah, 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 blah. Oh, too bad there was never ever an instance where Peter was uncovered as Spider-Man.
2: Or like that one time <laughs> that Peter came over to our house and just told us he was Spider-Man.
0: <laughs> yeah, clearly it was a fever dream.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what she was is that?
0: That was, oh, is that like 89 or 88 or something? something? like
2: it's, that, yeah. That's it's one right of the later
0: ballpark. Ramita Lee issues.
2: <laughs> um,
0: and then, I mean, a couple more instances during this run. I mean, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 24, which is probably one of my favorite um, Lee Dicko covers. It's, it's Mysterio is posing as a psychiatrist, Dr. Reinhardt. And he actually, you know, he convinces Spider-Man that he's going mad. It almost gets him to... To unmask himself, and then Jameson kind of busts in unknowingly and, like, blows, blows like, Reinhardt's cover, and Spider-Man comes to his senses and doesn't unmask himself, uh, which is just kind of, you know, Jameson walking into it very... Very, very uh, – that, that, that feels like a Dicko, and Randian kind of plot twist that, that Jameson would blow that for everybody, right?
2: <laughs> Spider-Man even goes so far as to like web the mask to his face in this run, which I yes. always found humorous. Like how can he see? Like what does that feel like to web yourself in the
0: face? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, well, he <laughs> – he has to do it during his during the fight with the Crime Master and the Green Goblin because uh, in the issue prior with the Spider Slayer, Peter Peter, uh, what happens? Oh, he he like he loses his costume and he goes to like get a new costume from the house and Aunt May finds it behind a bookcase and is just <laughs> like, "Stop dressing up, you <laughs> yet again." <laughs> Never putting two and two together.
2: (laughs) Everybody is so dense. I mean, at least it's not as bad as the Clark Kent wears glasses and Superman doesn't thing. So the other one we want to talk about, speaking of old May, is that the most reoccurring trope, especially during this run, is that poor old sick Aunt May is the cause of all of Peter's woes. That old May, she's going to get sick.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true. It's, it's you know, all the way back to, well, you know, I always felt like in the beginning, you know, first issue of Amazing Spider-Man, it's like, you know, Peter feels this obligation to take care of her because without Uncle Ben, like, you know, she's got nothing. But then, like, it just became this real, like, health issue, around Amazing Spider-Man number five, that a doctor comes over and tells Peter that May is old and fragile and can't be shocked uh, so, like, <laughs> Peter, it, it, like, changes how, like, Peter sneaks out of the house going forward and stuff. He's actually, why he's sneaking into the basement?
2: Yeah, he then blows a fuse and then makes an excuse that he needs to go buy new fuses at the <laughs> store. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like if i could only just keep blowing fuses for the next six years <laughs>
2: <laughs> we really ought to call an electrician to check this out no don't worry about ma i'm taking care of it all right <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm next next week i'm gonna i'm gonna damage the light bulb in the refrigerator
2: <laughs> we gotta move out of forest hills this house is cursed yeah right <laughs> <laughs>
0: But yeah, I mean this 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 happens over and over again. Wasn't there something where – or am I confusing this with um, – yeah, I'm confusing this with the later Lizard story where I feel like Peter sends Aunt May to Florida to like rest up. <laughs> just But also because he wants to like stalk the Lizard and Kirk Connors.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, most of the Stan Lee Steve Dicko and features Aunt May going in and out of the hospital – um, I don't know if she's choosing to get elective surgery beyond that. Like, she just needs to keep going back. But um, in Amazing Spider Man number nine, Peter sends Anne May to the hospital, even though she doesn't want to go, mainly because she's worried, quote, who will take care of you, dear Peter? Um, and Amazing Spider Man number 10, an issue later, Peter gives May her first blood transfusion. Then, seven issues later, she's back in the hospital again. And then 14 <laughs> issues after that, she's back in the hospital again. And then we take a little bit of a break from Aunt May going to the hospital. I think Master Planner finally was like, okay, we did this. The old crow can survive for a little longer.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, and then, apparently, you know, years later, she would go on to like owning real estate in Canada. Uh, she would almost marry Doc Ock. Um, so I guess she got better. Jim Shooter came along and, uh, as editor in chief of Marvel in the late '70s, and and mandated to everyone, you cannot write stories about Aunt May being sick and dying. Like that was like <laughs> like no more of this crutch. <laughs> so and it's kind of um, stuck
2: since then.
0: Yeah, outside of Amazing Spider-Man number four hundred.
2: Uh, and her, uh, get her getting her leg crushed.
0: Yes. Although we thought we didn't, we think at the beginning of dead no more, like we saw her with the, with the, the, uh, the, her, the handkerchief with the blood in it. And we're like, ah, oh, here we go again. <laughs> and
2: uh, <laughs> We were so eager for this trope to return.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's not forget when she came down under sniper fire, Dan, but although I know you, we said in the last segment, we don't talk about that story anymore.
2: Oh, I like I like that fine. Okay. <laughs> it's the conclusion to that story I don't like. Fair enough. Alright. Alright,
0: we got we got one more trope left and this this trope is so big this will probably get its own episode during the season, but why don't you introduce it, Dan?
2: Yeah. Uh the trope is mashed villains. Who is yes. this
0: guy? You know, I think everyone always just jumps to the Green Goblin as being the ultimate mystery villain. And I think in many ways that probably did set the template for everything that followed in Spider-Man. But technically, it started a few issues before the Green Goblin's first appearance in Amazing Spider-Man number 14. And that was in Amazing Spider-Man number 10 when it was the big man who was the mystery villain. Um, But that was cleared up pretty much by the end of the issue.
2: Yeah, he turned out to be
0: frederick nobody. foswell right or i thought it was foswell
2: i thought foswell's a crime master
0: no the crime master was nobody up. yes
2: i'm mixing them up the crime master is nobody
0: yeah but foswell is the big man and then he goes straight and joins the bugle
2: of course and foswell, foswell was the big man with the white mask what am i talking about i'm losing my mind here mark
0: it's okay dan i won't i won't judge you
2: two relatively forgettable villains <laughs> I'm surprised we've never seen the return of Frederick Foswell.
0: Hey, man, there's always there's the new issues of Venom to look look forward to.
2: That's true, where early Bugle characters will <laughs> make their weird reappearance. Yes. All right. So um, issue 10 is the big man, and that's Frederick Foswell, followed by the legendary all-time... Green Goblin and Amazing Spider-Man 14.
0: Yeah. And then the Crime Master and there's even that great uh Ditko splash page of uh, I think it's Amazing Spider-Man number 20. It's either 25 uh, it's it's either 26 or 27 where it's like the Goblin, the Crime Master and Spider-Man and there's like a big question mark in the middle of the page um kind of teasing the whole who's who. It's a big triangle of mystery. <laughs>
2: I want to talk about the visualization of this because we talked about the visualization of like the lifting the lead and everything. But I think Mm -hmm. this trope has a visualization with it too. And that's the like blacked out faces or the like, I'm taking my costume off, but my face is blocked by some door I've opened. Yes. Um, we saw that just shortly ago during superior Spider-Man several times. Um, but I think we've gotten it with a number of characters. Um, and there's been a number of MASH people moving forward. Most famously, your favorite character, Mark, the Hobgoblin. Um, yes. we've got the Rose as well. Who else is MASH? We
0: um, well, like, well, then there's the, the, a lot of the goblins, like Menace. Yeah. yeah and, that was
2: a great one. uh,
0: the, the third Green Goblin, which ended up being Harry Shrink. Um, and then, of course, um, well then, the new the, the, the new old Green Goblin and Superior, they play that out until it ended up being Norman Osborn, Seamus the Wrestler. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what else we got? Anyone else that's that's pretty famous in that regard?
2: I'm sure there's a ton that I'm forgetting right now, but yeah, those are the big ones.
0: All right, Dan, I think we copied these. Uh, we we cover these pretty pretty densely.
2: Yeah, I mean, these are the things we see over and over again. Let's talk about them in general. Do you feel like most of these are kind of played out? You know, like, I, I mean, I, one thing I'll say about Dan Slot is, you know, he's re- cut, revisited some of these. But I think he's really kind of broken away from a lot of these since the beginning of his run with Big Time. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I... I do, I do. Although I do feel that he plays, if if anything, he plays to the mystery villain angle a little too heavily.
2: Yeah, I agree um, with that. Where, I,
0: where it's like, you know, and, and we talked about this a lot during Dead No More where, you know, I was even questioning the necessity of making another mystery villain angle because I feel like we had just dealt with that in Superior, you know what I mean? And, and it was just like, is this actually a mystery or not? Because, you know, there were moments where it felt like they were teasing a mystery in moments where they weren't. Um, I would, I would just say that in terms of it being played out. I mean, you know, I, I think the reason we're bringing these up is that, I mean, these are these are these are classic wells to go back to. I mean, you know, obviously you got to do more than just visually reference these things. I mean, it'd you, be nice to have a nice unique spin on it, and I think we have seen unique spins on these over the years. But at the end of the day, I mean, like. I think these are mostly the stories you tell about Spider Man that involve these elements. Like, I don't think you can go much further than that, right? I mean, that's part of what makes them tropes. It's, it's, this is, this is it, right? This, these are the stories to tell.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I think the ones that, like, kind of wrinkle, you know, for me, like, the ones that I, I, like, recoil from are when they're just kind of shallow references, you know? Yes. Like, I, I'm thinking about the, lifting the building in that recent uh, issue of Amazing Spider-Man before Clone Conspiracy where he's just lifting the 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 building and I was like all right like I it's a, it's a shout out but it's not doing anything more than that it's not playing into the heart of the trope the never give up of that right. moment like yeah you can echo that moment but when you're not playing to the trope it's hollow and like it works for me in Spider-Man: Homecoming, even though I've seen it a million times, because it's being honest to the underlying emotion that made that visual powerful.
0: Absolutely, and 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 to that point, it's not even just like a new versus old thing. Because like I, I one of my instances, one of the instances of the of the lifting lifting building stuff um, that I always think of in terms of being played out and kind of trite is actually um, Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, 365, which is the uh, the 30th anniversary hologram issue with the lizard. Yeah, and and I you know I remember rereading that recently. Not recently, it was maybe a couple of years ago for a post I did on Chasing Amazing, and was kind of rolling my eyes because it's like this kind of out of nowhere like despairing moment during his fight with the lizard where he's lifting stuff over his head, and I was like, you know, like it was very it was so heavy-handed because it's like oh it's the anniversary issue so we have to work this in somehow you know what i mean it was like it was like checking a box
2: yeah and that, that's a cool issue otherwise like it didn't right. need, it didn't need that
0: no it didn't and and you know like it's like let's not check boxes in terms of what we're going to do um you know let's instead just just like you say be honest to the to the sentiment of the moment if we're going to reference those moments so
2: Cool. Well, I think that's a good place to end this discussion. Uh, So thanks, everybody, for joining us for this fourth episode of our first season of all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Our next episode is going to be out in two weeks on August 30th. Uh, What's going to be the title of our next show?
0: Uh well Dan, it's gonna be called I think I have to say this in like a Pacino Scarface voice, Dan. The, the bad guys. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm terrible. <laughs> so all the my little friends. the bad guys. We're gonna we're gonna do a show called the bad guys. There we go. How's that? You like that?
2: I might just delete all of this, Mark. <laughs> no! I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna delete this whole episode <laughs> because of that impression.
0: <laughs> we're going to be talking about the amazing bad guys.
2: i'm taking over mark okay we're talking about the bad guys from the lee and dicko run uh and mark hopefully is not going to be revisiting his pacino accent um and we're going to highlight a few of our favorites and talk about the ones that never really seemed to catch on uh mark I got a few favorites that never caught on that are, I mean, like, I wish they caught on because they are very close to my heart.
0: First you get the looter, then you get the power, then you get the women. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) Also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed for this week's bonus episode where we will be discussing and reviewing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, number 31, the end of the Secret Empire tie-in books, uh, which actually turned out to be a pretty pivotal issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, we hope you'll join us for that conversation. And remember, folks, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, not even a, a special edition comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, Swarm B-Book reviews, mailbags, et cetera, et cetera. These are for like our off weeks from the regular episodes. Uh, and then for $10 or more a month, You'll be sent exclusive commissioned artwork every six months. And Dan, I know you've been making plans about that. So what do we got on the docket there?
2: Yeah. Speaking of that commissioned artwork, uh, last week I revealed that Ron Friend is going to be creating a full-page spread for us. Uh, And we've decided that we want to do it in the manner of Lee and Ditko because that's what we're talking about. So Ron is going to be doing his very own interpretation of the scene we talked about today, Spider-Man lifting the rubble over his head from the master planner story. I can't wait to see this. It's going to be a big splashy page of Ron's interpretation of that awesome issue. Um, And you can only get it by joining our Patreon page and our Excelsior club. So um, it's going to be great. Everyone's going to get a print and a digital copy of it, and they're going to be numbered, a limited print. And if you miss it, that's it. Uh, the end, you're not going to be able to get it anywhere else. So, uh, I'm really excited about it.
0: First you get the commissioned artwork. Okay. I won't do it. god, Mark, this is as bad as when I kept talking about like karate kid three with you. I oh, can tell. No, oh, no.
2: <laughs> Mark, if people really care to get more of you and I really not sure they're going to want to after this, uh, where can they find you on the internet?
0: Uh, Well, of course, you can find me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. You can find me on ChasingAmazingBlog.com, SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Or you could, of course, buy my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, published by Triumph Books, available wherever books are sold. Dan, I recently got an inquiry, someone listening to an older episode, uh, asking about um, signed copies of the book or, or how to get them if they're not, in in the orbit of New York and Brooklyn where I am. If, if you then just tweet at me on Twitter. Again, that's at ChasingASMblog, uh, and I can uh, direct message you a way. I can send you a, a inscribed book plate to put on your book. Uh, so if that's something you want, I'll gladly do it for you. Dan, where can we find your stuff?
2: Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at at SupSpiderTalk, where I talk about all of my Spider-Man musings and Thoughts about the comic book industry and all kinds of other stuff. And also all the postings from our website over at superiorspidertalk.com. And um, I just want to say if you guys um, have never been to superiorspidertalk.com, we'd love for you to come check it out. We do a lot of hard work over there. And um, one of the things that's been really exciting recently is because of the success of the Patreon, we've finally been able to pay our contributors ...to do reviews for the site. So, that's a big thing, and we're only able to do it because you guys have been so generous with supporting us. So, all the money that you're giving us for the Patreon is going to a good place. It's going to create more awesome content over at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. So, uh, you know, uh, there's probably an adage in there about great Patreon donors and power and money and some al pacino nonsense but mark um as we're always sure to remember our favorite uh motto say hello to my little friend all right well i'm taking it away this time with great podcasts must also come the all-new amazing spider talk